Stage Door Sessions by Broadway Direct. In this podcast, we have in-depth conversations with Broadway's brightest, bringing you what's new, what's noteworthy, and what's coming next to a stage near you. I'm your host, Elisa Gardner, and I'm here today with Bertie Carvel, who's currently starring in the Broadway premiere of Inc. at the Manhattan Theatre Club's Samuel J. Friedman Theater. The James Graham play cast Bertie as a young Rupert Murdoch during a time of transition in British journalism, and it collected six Tony nominations, including one for Best Play and one for Bertie's performance as the now international media mogul. In London, where the play premiered, the role won Bertie his second Olivier Award. He won his first playing the comically terrifying school headmistress Miss Trunchbull in Matilda the Musical, a part that also earned him a Tony nomination on Broadway. His many stage credits across the pond include productions at the National Theatre, the Almeida Theatre, the Royal Court, the Old Vic, and Donmar Warehouse. He's also appeared on TV in series such as Babylon, Dr. Foster, and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, and in the film adaptation of Les Miserables. Bertie, welcome to Stage Door Sessions, and thanks for joining us today. I was impressed by my own CV. Well, there it is. I left stuff out, I'm I, sure. I started listening to these wonderful podcasts that the Royal Court Theatre put out, which um, for a while began with very glowing sort of essays by Simon Stevens, listening to the, to- the tone of silence that people have when they're listening to Ooh. themselves being flattered. I ne- never thought I'd be in that chair, but it's sort of faintly embarrassing, but also kind of kind of golden. <laughs> well, it's it's all stuff you've done. And now you get the offer to play Rupert Murdoch this hugely influential, hugely controversial figure, Mm. certainly to those of us who work in media, but generally, I think, uh, and someone who is still very much alive. Have you ever worked for a Murdoch paper? I have never worked for a Murdoch newspaper, as far as I know, because (laughs) his reach is pretty wide. It is. But what was your first reaction when you got this offer? Um, Excitement, frankly. I've worked with James Graham, the playwright, before. Um, He wrote a film about the coalition government that uh, came in to the UK in 2015, uh, in which I played Nick Clegg, and I've very much enjoyed doing that. Um, and I've loved his plays. He's um, he's got a sort of um, deep love of our political machinery in in the UK and democratic machinery in general, um, which I feel a close kinship to, largely because my father and his father and his father were all political journalists reporting on Westminster over the last hundred years. So um, although I'm the one that got away, I sort of feel um, uh, like James, a real nostalgia for and love of and respect of our kind of democratic machinery. And he's got this incredible uh, gift for writing about that with a light heart. Um, He seems to be able to kind of write... um, on deep harmonic levels that are really about serious subjects and ones that um, couldn't be more urgent, but um, making it into a comedy, (laughs) giving people a good time. And um, so I kind of, I knew from his track record that that was what was sort of on the, on the cards. And at that stage, it was an early draft that, um, in, in fact, James rang me about something else and we were chatting about and he said, oh, by the way, I've, Rupert's asked me to, uh, Rupert and I've been working on this play, he's commissioned a play about Murdoch and I think he wants you to do Murdoch. And so I was, even before I got the script, I was, was very excited to see what shape that would take. And then, you know, picked it up and read that opening scene, which is uh, 
just you know grabs you instantly and i thought okay you know can see that's happening you kind of know more or less straight away actually when i think when when one reads something and the imagination catches light in a certain way i think it has a very distinct um kind of feeling in the body and um yeah that was that yeah you've got a rupert for a director as well i have another two ruperts yeah <laughs> who incidentally who makes it a wonderfully life. theatrical production as you mentioned it really hits mm -hmm. from the gut from the gecko and and the brain i mean it's a it's a wonderful play, and you play Rupert Murdoch when he was still in his thirties. Because the play starts in 1969 when he bought and remade the British tabloid The Sun. That's right. Uh, we obviously have this image of of him now, Murdoch now, as a much older man, uh, someone who's seen his fortunes and his status shift a bit recently with Disney owning much of his empire. His elder son now runs a good deal of his business. Was it hard to put all of that aside and approach him as kind of this? hungry young businessman? Um, I'm wondering whether I did put it aside. I mean, I, I don't think I did put it aside. I think part of the fun of uh, the, the meeting this character is that you're meeting someone about whom we think we know a lot, um, but before any of that had happened. And so, yes, to some extent, the job is to kind of peel away the assumptions and get to... Uh, what it might have felt like in that moment. Um, but part of the fun is playing with the the, the knowledge of what comes after. And um, so it's not exactly, um, it's not, it, I, I, I don't think it's an act of like archaeology. And also we, James, Rupert, I, none of the cast were there and, 1969 um, or, or alive right? <laughs> so you know it is an act of imagination and actually um there is a sort of I, I i try very hard and whether it's a real character or a fictional one actually not to kind of editorialize about the character i'm playing and not to sort of take a a view from outside about what um you know whether they're good bad or ugly um but that doesn't mean that you're not aware of other people's assumptions. And part of the fun with this play is that you get people rooting. You know, we opened at the Almeida Theatre in Islington, which is sort of red, relatively um, kind of liberal theatre-going go audience. And part of the fun is watching those liberals who one can safely assume um, have a certain view of Mr. Murdoch and his enterprises um, rooting uh, rooting for him and 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 hearing actually the um, ideology that he uh, in the play espouses the um, the kind of full throated um, uh, argument for a certain kind of uh, libertarianism, a certain kind of capitalism uh, that James puts uh, puts into his mouth in in the play, and so that that's that's part of the fun. So I, I yeah, I mean. I, I didn't really put it aside, but then, you know, I mean, there's video and there's um, photographs and there's the imagination. I mean, I think the main resource for me is just kind of doing as much research as you can. And um, uh, like a journalist, actually che checking your facts, but unlike a journalist, I don't have to, I have no, I'm not bound by sort of needing to have multiple sources. I can, at the end of the day, I have the liberty to just imagine it for myself. As long, I think, I think there's a line. I mean, I think there's a sort of um, a point at which you might feel you were certainly looking after a, a character who is a real person. Um, one, one has to 
use one's judgment to know when you might be being unfair. And I, I think that's what I mean about editorializing. I'm keen not to be unfair, um, but it's up to me what that means. <laughs> yeah. I'm like a journalist, I suppose. I mean, or maybe you, you might disagree. I mean, suppose that one of the themes of the play is is what the responsibility of journalism is to the truth. And and actually, it, it, it's as, it's artistic. It's not science, is it, journalism? You, you know, there is an element of judgment about um, how you, what your editorial stance is. And when you're reporting, when you're supposed to be reporting facts, we see all over the place now, don't we? Uh, reporting facts that has a very high degree of subjectivity. So... I'm sorry, I'm spinning off on one. No, that's very true. And I think it's very pertinent because there is a blurring of the lines sometimes between news and editorial, yeah. um, editorializing. And uh, and that's something that that enters into this as well. That's right. And I yeah. think, I mean, think what James is so smart at doing is he's not, you know, you might expect from, from monologue I've just given um, that, that this is going to be some sort of um, very turgid um, treatise on journalism. And actually he writes... Uh, musical comedy um, and manages to skate very where where all of this stuff very lightly and yet have one think about these so he's he's asking an audience to consider a world and consider a kind of intellectual question without very lengthy high-minded scenes I mean th those are there um, but I think they are placed neatly within a framework of fun and um something that resembles the Sun newspaper, which is kind of appealing populist tabloid. Yeah. Well, you mentioned him being a real person, um, you know, playing uh, Murdoch as a real person. And something that struck me and, and many critics about your portrayal is how human it is. You know, you're playing a man who could have been made into a cartoon character, certainly by his detractors. Um, and your last Broadway role was was kind of cartoonish, Miss, Miss Trunchbull, uh, certainly more so. You obviously wanted to flesh out this actual person a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are people who think my performance in this is cartoonish, who knows? Um, my way into Miss Trunchbull was oddly, um, you know, really through I don't believe in naturalism in the theatre. The theatre is like an intensely unnaturalistic space because you're in the same room as people you know are not who they say they are. So there's nothing naturalistic about that. And, um, nevertheless, like uh, all the kind of homework that you get taught to do when you learn about sort of acting Chekhov or Stanislavski stuff I did about Miss Trunchbull, uh, this, you're right that the same is true here. But I think you can arrive at um, what you might term cartoonish or bouffant or kind of grotesque performances which are nonetheless extremely deeply um, fully imagined and deeply thought out from from what you might think of as sort of naturalistic point of view. And the reason for that is that there's a sort of vo volume, I, I suppose, or, a you know, in the, in that production in Matilda, you want, it's it, almost impossible to get out of one's mind the incredible, jagged, inky, um, hand-drawn quality of, of, uh, of uh, Quentin Blake's um, uh, illustrations, even though he wasn't involved in the production, so one one holds that, and indeed that is, I think, responding to a quality of Roald Dahl's writing, which is sort of somehow, um, you know, the volume is cranked up on, and, the, the, and and so even though one might be thinking, you know, a lot of my work there was about thinking about how this little girl, Miss Trunchbull, um, who was called Agatha, and who had a sister who she thought was more beautiful, more daring, more 
uh, athletic, more feminine, more, you know, and her relationship to herself is kind of defined in those terms and hence jealousy. And, but he cranks the volume up and he turns her into, he, he takes her to the end of that scale and she becomes this kind of child-hating psychopath who finds her nemesis <laughs> in Matilda, you know, and, and so, but all of that comes out of a very humane place for me. And then you just sort of go, but how do I wear that at a, scale that responds to the kind of temperature of the writing same is true here actually so it's easier in a way to see the route to naturalism because i can go and dig around and read biographies of rupert murdoch and you know talk to people and uh, i suppose i could have rung him up and interviewed him and i decided not to not because mm -hmm. i thought he wouldn't pick up the phone i may, may have been wrong actually um but but actually there's still then a lens of the play and then coming to the play I remember early on thinking I can't put on stage a sort of very finely drawn well if I try to put on stage a sort of mimetic representation of or you know an exact dis disguise myself as Murdoch I don't think it's going to work because I don't think that's what the play is delivering the play is the volume is turned you know I don't know whether it's north south east or west but it's it's not a kind of copy of reality james is commenting on that so you have to kind of lean in that direction and um i hope that's not too long an answer to no and i guess that's what i meant that it was more you know with uh, matilda it was more certainly the humanity and the reality was there but it was a more yeah. exaggerated yeah sense of it yeah yeah i suppose so yeah 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 um well on broadway you've you've appeared in new works but in the uk you've done a number of classics going back to shakespeare to restoration comedy do you seek a certain balance in introducing new things that excite you and revisiting old classics i just want to do stuff i think i can be good in frankly and um without shutting off risk because it's important to carry on taking risks and, and, and challenging oneself. And sometimes that's what's exciting. But also one's kind of looking for some sniff that the thing that the sensation I described earlier about, I kind of know when the touch paper of my imagination has been lit and that's enough. And sometimes it burns hot and bright and sometimes it sort of peters out and, you know, um, it's, it's not always a guide to what's going to be good, but it's it's necessary for me to feel excited. I um, I feel so lucky to do to go into work with that spring in my step, even when it's to to face down huge challenges. Or I, I love those challenges, but but when it's coming from a place of I imagined something, I I I saw you know through a glass darkly. I saw something that I thought was really interesting. Like I just sensed it was around the corner. It's an amazing place to go to work from. And um, so that's the only criterion. And I don't have a, you know, I don't feel, I feel the same about musicals, theatre, film, television. It's all the same in as much as um, these are things people have invited me to do with my skill set um, that are, you know, are interesting. And, and, and actually, almost always it comes from, words on a page um once or twice i've done stuff that has been where there haven't been any words on the page and that's been interesting and challenging in a different way but i i mean i have a very strong imaginative response to reading things i find it much harder i think when uh, or hearing things i'm quite auditory like i i learn my lines by listening i've realized that my brain works faster that way actually than 
I read quite slowly, but both things kind of have a, a root to my imagination in a way that, you know, if somebody says this director wants to do a project with that producer and they're interested in talking to you about, I find that a very unsteady space when it's not that I don't like the idea of devising, but I just don't, I don't feel a, 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 the, the sense of confidence that comes from going, even if it's just a fragment, I've read or heard something that is like ah, um, a world has opened up. And um, uh, so we did uh, Damon Albarn's opera, Dr. D, Rufus mm -hmm. Norris um, came to me and said, look, there's no libretto. Uh, we've, there've been a couple of attempts to make a libretto for this, but here's some music that Damon has written and we're gonna, we're gonna work around that in a rehearsal room. And that was really exciting because one could, in in what Damon had created already, there was already this rich world. And that was about a real person. So one could also go and do research and so on. Sorry, I digress. Please interrupt me. No, no, it's, this, this is great. This will tend to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. We like that. Um, I know that you made your directorial debut a mm. few years ago um, mm. with Stripe, which also looks at British politics and culture what was that like oh it was it was um well it was incredible um it's one of the most traumatic experiences of my life because, traumatic uh, or dramatic <laughs> traumatic <laughs> i felt i was i've been i've been so excited to, to direct for such a long time and finally i was given this incredible opportunity by jonathan church who ran just festival theater and um trusted with a huge play that I brought to them and with 20 actors and incredible cast uh, who had all bought in. And, and there was I with literally no experience of directing except having been directed. And I mean, that was an incredible baptism of, of fire. I, uh, there were things I was, I, I, I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. And I was extremely proud of it, extremely proud of what everybody made. I mean, I think it was really good. And I think my input was a mixed bag, frankly. I think there were things I got right. I think I the production we made was extraordinary and um, way better than it deserved to be for a neophyte director. Um, and actually, I was really, really proud of it. Um, but there were things I got hugely wrong and um, was so an incredible way to learn. I can't wait to do it again. I was going to um, ask. Do you it's plan very. To do that? I would love to do it again, and 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 frankly, the the reason it took me so long to do it, and the reason it would probably take me some time before I do it again, is that the the the, sh the schedules of a director and an actor couldn't conflict more. So, you know, I've been trying actually since then to work on the next project, and the, but the thing is, a freelance director, you have to be continually pitching ideas and sharpening up stuff that may or may not ever happen and then as and when it moves into a sort of vaguely might happen phase there's still you, know, you have to do an awful lot of work for nothing essentially um way more so than an actor actually and and i don't think it's appreciated actually how much particularly freelance rates is different if you run a building but uh, or if you're you know so successful that people are asking you to do productions all over the world but but as a freelance or as starting your career you know you're essentially producing as well um, you're pitching continually and making commitments to projects that can fall through at the last minute. And that's not really compatible with a successful career as an actor, which I happily enjoy for the time being. So I would have to sacrifice that if I was really serious about 
um, doing a lot more directing, and I'm not prepared to do that. So, unfortunately, I think that means I won't get to do as much of it as, as well, I Well, at like. some point, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Juggling act, I would guess. When I'm fantastically successful. <laughs> well, before we let you go, you have provided voices for at least a couple of video games. Yes. I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about video games but given all you can do with your singing and speaking voices i was hoping maybe you could discuss it or give us a little example i know it's early in the morning right now it's a huge topic this i think it's a, a um apart from anything else the games industry is now worth more than television film oh, theater it's put huge. together it's absolutely huge and um it's an area in which i think the artists are under-recognized, unsung, and massively underpaid by by, by and large. Um, there's work going on uh, across the performers' unions to try and address that. And, you know, I'm very pleased to be able to say publicly that I think it's something that needs to be looked at. I don't think that the industry has uh, kept pace with the, the rapid, exp exciting expansion of that industry. But this skill set is huge, and because it's not visible, literally, um, I don't know that the, I mean, apart from anything else, artists are doing incredible motion capture stuff, um, but really making an incredible input. My, my own experience has been um, relatively low key. I turned up for a, an audition I thought was for a commercial, actually, uh, of a voiceover commercial. And I'd, I'd said no to it because I wasn't really into it. I was teching a play at the time at the Royal Court. And my agent told me what the fee would be if I got the job per hour. Um, which was, you know, was modest, but it was it was half my weekly fee at the uh, Royal Court Theatre upstairs for for a single hour, which is what I thought the gig was. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, get over yourself, turn up. And I turned up, and then said no more about it. Anyway, it, it turned into this incredible, um, long running voiceover gig, which has been extraordinary, and um, um. The amount of material is vast because this is a world that um, uh, is populated by sort of. Um, I'm now regretting telling you vaguely what I earn because I think I signed a non-disclosure <laughs> agreement, but it's uh, hardly a king's ransom. Um, anyway, the point is that it was a huge opportunity, and I was very, very pleased I went to the audition. <laughs> uh -huh. Sounds like you've got uh, a lot on your plate right now, a lot to juggle, prospects for the future. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's exciting. That's great. I've just been doing ADR for a TV project that I've got coming out later this year, down, down the line to London and in the same booth, actually, as I was recently there doing some stuff for a computer game. And, you know, to be able to earn one's living in this varied way and to be able to come and be invited to talk to you and uh, speak in sentences with uh, not enough punctuation in this... <laughs> It's a great honour, really. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining us and have a couple of great shows today. Thank you very much. For all things Broadway and to find tickets to your next show, visit broadwaydirect.com. This podcast is produced by Broadway Direct and the Niederlander Organization with Iris Chan, Glenn Halcombe, Erin Provosnik-Wagner, and hosted and produced by me, Elisa Gardner. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon on Broadway.